Good morning. Welcome to Northwest Community Church. I am so glad that each one of you are here today. I do believe that you've been brought here by God to just hear a message of encouragement and hope. My name is Matt Rice. I'm the teaching pastor here at Northwest. This is Keen and Cynthia Kulak. They have uh, agreed to meet with us today to sit down and just have a really important conversation. Most of you know, and maybe some of you do not, that 18 months ago, uh, their son, Hunter, took his life. He was a very active member of our church and someone that we love deeply. It has gripped our hearts. And over the last 18 months, we are convinced that there is a God in heaven who in the midst of great, great tragedy has great lessons. Because that's what makes him God. He's God and he can do those things and he can turn tragedy into triumph. The Bible teaches that he died, he was buried, and he rose again. And we get to celebrate that, that Christ is alive. And because he is alive, we have hope. And we fight for that hope. And so today, what we want to do is we want to encourage you that you're here for a purpose and God has a message for you. I just pray that you would be open to hear what God would teach you this morning. And uh, that you would pray for the Kulaks cool as they share from their heart. I'm not sure how you got here or what way or invitation or whatever that might be but I'm absolutely convinced that God, again, has you here for a purpose. So we want to go ahead and get started. I'm going to ask them some questions. They're going to share from their heart. And uh, let me go ahead and ask the Lord's blessing upon our time. I'd love to pray for us, okay? God in heaven, we are here today because of you, and we're here today for you. We recognize that uh, the scripture is very clear, that you died, you were buried, and you rose again. And because Jesus did that, we can have a relationship with God. And Lord, we thank you for that. We thank you for the hope that we have and the hope that we fight for. I pray that today, that you would use today, you would use Keen and Cynthia and their words of, of hope to uh, encourage us, to inspire us, and to challenge us. Lord, I am convinced, um, wherever we are in our walk of faith, you can use today to speak something very clear to us. And I pray that you would do just that. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. I'm going to have a couple of questions for them to sort of navigate our time together. The question that we're going to finish with is, what has God taught you? What has God taught you? If we could summarize over the last 18 months, what has God taught you? Really what I want to start with is we want to get to know you guys. And so... <laughs> Before we jump into all the lessons that maybe you've learned and the trial that you have been through, through this tragedy, we want to ask, I want to ask you a question. Just let us know who you are. Cynthia, you first. I don't know how I drew the short straw, but I'll be <laughs> first. I was born in Southern California uh, to first-generation believer parents who uh, were on, worked for a company called Campus Crusade for Christ. It's now called Crew. They traveled all over Europe, um, decided they wanted to start a family, were told they could never have children, so they began to, the adoption process by coming back to the States, which that was before the World Wide Web and all that stuff, so um, they had to come back to the States to, to work on that. Anyways, I uh, found out they were pregnant with uh, me, like to say that I'm a miracle, but <laughs> <laughs> um, then they had two... Three more children, uh, two sisters and a brother, who are also, also miracles. Yeah, Keen wanted me to make sure that I said that to my <laughs> sister and brother who are here. 
So, she felt that way, really, Shelley. <laughs> Uh, so, you know, normal family life, um, went to church on a regular basis, um, at the ripe old age of five, I, um, was at a, called a good news club and I, um, decided that I needed to be saved from myself and from my sin and so I, um, put my trust in Jesus. I, I, I have seen God's provision in so many ways, um, since that time, um, I wasn't you know, in jail or a drug dealer or anything like that before um, I turned five. But uh, <laughs> I, I have seen his hand. Um, my mom almost died of a brain aneurysm that burst. My brother was diagnosed with leukemia and almost died a couple times. My father died um, at an early age of 55, like six weeks after we were married. Um, so I've seen... I've seen some trials, and I would have to say that the glue that has held me together has been my personal relationship with Jesus. Now it's your turn. Oh, cool. <laughs> so I'm keen, if you couldn't figure out the difference. My testimony is the exact same as hers, except for everything. Um, so I, uh, I grew up in Connecticut and really had a great middle-class home. My parents were awesome parents. I had two siblings, two brothers, two sisters, excuse me, and life was good. Uh, about eighth grade, my parents moved, and uh, with that came unsettledness a little bit, and so I started uh, dabbling in drugs, um, which what eighth graders don't, so uh, just kidding. That's a joke. <laughs> After 25 years of student ministry, that was a joke, um, but no, I, 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 I didn't connect to anything. And um, so that life kept taking me further and further down, uh, drinking and drugs and everything associated with it. And um, eventually, I, I got into the University of Connecticut. And I, if you were at Hunter's funeral, you know, um, but they had this weird 1.2 grade point average requirement. And so uh, I didn't... He didn't meet it. Yeah, I didn't, I didn't. So they sent me a letter that summer saying, hey, thanks for coming. Um, we're going to encourage you to go somewhere else. So I did. I started uh, figuring out uh, what the next path was, and my parents had moved to Florida for some other reasons, and so I could stay in my brother's condo in Connecticut, or I could move to Florida and live with them for free. And so I moved to, I moved to Florida, and um, there, a girl asked me to go to church with her. Well, I used to party with the people I went to church with up in Connecticut, so why not go to church with people in Florida? And there, I heard the gospel. I heard the gospel clearly articulated, and I heard... Uh, the message of Jesus and the, the hope that I can have in Jesus and that he can take me out of the lack of hope and give me a, a hope and a future. And uh, so I, I came to ask Jesus to be my Lord and Savior, and that set my life on a whole new course. Okay, so now we have Cynthia, we have Keen getting cleaned up, and now all of a sudden, how did the Kulak marriage happen? So it was a good thing he got himself cleaned up or God got him cleaned up because I don't know that I would have <laughs> dated him or even thought of a potential date with him if I'd met him before. I was not the girl that um, brought him to church. It was somebody else, thankfully. <laughs> so so <laughs> sorry, I'm taking all your stuff, all your... <laughs> no, it's all good, baby. <laughs> uh, see, I, had, I didn't tell him any of these little comments in between because then I... It's called I, mumble chatter. We'll... Right. Yes. <laughs> I'm well aware of that. 
so Keen and I did. We we met in Florida. My uh, parents had moved there, um, and then obviously he had moved. We actually met on a blind date, and I did not make a very good first impression. You can ask Keen about that story later. Um, <laughs> but we did eventually end up dating, and he asked me to marry him, which was great. Shortly after that, we, um, he took a new job in uh, Chicago, and so we moved there, um, very cold, very far from family. Um, we knew no one. We became really good friends with each other, and I think that was helpful in our marriage because we had to rely on each other. We couldn't run home or we couldn't, you know, go out with friends or whatever. Um, I think at one point he looked across the kitchen table from me, and he's like, it'll really be nice when we have some friends and can go out. <laughs> and I'm like, what does that mean? Like, you're tired of me already? So, yeah, it was, it was a challenging time, but God, um, God was gracious to give us some really neat friends. We had Drew there and um, began to feel this urge to want to move closer to family. Um, I pretty much was done with the 100 days of no son, um, and we just felt the urge to be closer. So that brought us to North Carolina um, with a job, and um, we ended up having two more boys here, Hunter and Parker, and we lived in Apex. We were living the dream. We had a white house with a white picket fence. We had a dog. We had three beautiful boys, very active. Um, we were involved in leadership roles in our church. We had a pretty good marriage. I mean, obviously, you know, there's things that what? <laughs> <laughs> that some of us need to work on. <laughs> I, that's not on the script. I, I don't know. remember us I, talking I, about Matt that at said all. Matt said I didn't have to stay on the script, so. <laughs> uh, so anyways, we were doing good. We would, as you F3 guys call it, accelerating, accelerating. Keen's really good at that. So like like I said, we were we were in our mind our life was normal. Yeah, I, I would say that our home looked like any other home. It literally was white and literally did have a white picket fence, but, you know, we laughed. We took trips together. We made memories. Um, we fought. Uh, we, we, you know, the boys were boys, and they wanted more electronic time, and they wanted, you know, dessert after bedtime, and, you know, we fought about that, and then as they got older, we fought about doing your homework and doing chores and making sure stuff is done, but then we also really enjoyed time together and made some great memories and took some awesome trips. Sometimes you forget about all the stuff you do, and then you look at, you know, Google and some of the other things, they throw up, look at what you were doing this time last year, and you're like, ooh, that was a nice trip, you know, and so we had some great adventures together, and so we, we loved life, and, and when there was conflict, you know, Cynthia has this expression that believe that the other person has the best interest for everybody at heart. So, in other words, they weren't trying to tear the other person down. They were just fighting what they thought would be better for everybody. And uh, so if you believe the best about one another, we overcame some of those conflicts. And, you know, our approach to parenting was always, let's shepherd their hearts, not change the behavior. And if we could get their heart to be in line with the Lord, and in, in line with what scripture said, that the behavior will follow. And sometimes we were great at that. Sometimes she didn't do well. You know, just kidding, baby. You know, I had to get something in. So, but we were just a normal home. 
So now we've got to know uh, you guys. I don't know about you, but sitting from here, this is really fun. Okay, <laughs> my perspective here, this is fun. Um, this little banter going back in here. But, um, so three boys. But for those of us that know and maybe those of us that don't know, Hunter, there would be very, it would be very difficult for us to put into one word <laughs> and summarize this, this kid. It would be very difficult for us to do that. So what we thought would be uh, helpful for you is to take a look at this video of a moment with Hunter. Bend forward. I don't want you to put me in here, though. We won't, we won't lock it. I just want to see if you, you won't see lock it. it. No, I want to see if you Come on, you've it. seen Ocean's Eleven. Let's see there if you, you can actually fit. All right, put We're the lid down. Here. Let's see if the lid... You just, you just, gotta, just pull it down no. yourself, dude. I'm right You just got to put the... You got to just pull... I don't trust you guys. Trust us. I'm your father. Dude, that doesn't we, mean I trust you. If we close you. it, you have about 10 seconds of oxygen and you're dead, so we're not going to close yeah, it. Yeah, we're not going to close it. 10 seconds. All right, I got my phone. I'm good. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to get oxygen out of my phone. Can you close it yourself? You, I think you're... I, honestly, honestly, I don't think it's going to close. I think your back's too high. I'm, I'm serious. I just want to. I want to have evidence of you fitting. No, I don't think it's, is that as far as you can go? Yeah. You need to work on your flexibility, man. Dead. Hold on. Wait, 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 wait. Go. Can you turn sideways? Like, try to get your knee like one knee up. So sideways, like as I can this is, go. Pull this leg up. No, this leg won't fit though. Like that. It won't. No. Oh, there you go. It's not gonna. Yeah, it's the same way. I'll never forget, I'm going off script just a little bit right here. I'll never forget as long as I live, I've, I've said this uh, uh, before, and maybe some of you have heard it, but one day after church, I was standing out by the coffee um, area, and I'm a type 1 diabetic and was getting ready to uh, test my blood, where you take a lancet, jab it in your finger, get blood, and then put it on a strip to tell you your, uh, the, the number. Is your blood sugar okay? And so I'm doing that, and Hunter comes up and goes, hey, take mine. And I went, really? He said, yeah, do it for me. So I said, okay. So I, I tested him. And so I put the lancet into his finger with this little, little gadget that I had. And he went, ow, and he hit me. <laughs> Punched me right in the shoulder. It hurt, too. And we could all sit there and we could tell stories. So I would say for you guys, let me ask you a question. If you could summarize the best that you can, your son, Hunter, try to do that with this next section. So, again, I drew the short straw. <laughs> uh, I, I would say um, Hunter was the life of the party. He, um, very much like Keen, liked to be, you know, um, laughing and joking and making people laugh. And he definitely could work the room. He... Um, would see somebody who maybe was sitting by themselves, you know, at lunch when he was in school, and he would go and sit by them, and he or he would invite them into, you know, his circle of friends. And he just was, he was very, um, very social. Had lots, lots of friends. Um, no one was a stranger to him. We, when he was younger, he was kind of not always aware of his surroundings and. Um, we would lose him from time to time, <laughs> not because sure. I wasn't paying attention, but because we were all waiting at the elevator to get on to go up the next floor, and we'd get in the elevator. I'm assuming that everybody, all my children are paying attention getting on the elevator, 
And we would go up and get off, and Hunter would not be there. And I would go down back to where I was, and he'd be like, where'd you go? Where, I, I turned around, and you were gone. And I'm like, um, we were all getting on the elevator. Like this. So I, uh, there were times like that where he would just be not, um, not with all of us. But we always said that if he were to ever be kidnapped, that he would share Jesus with the person, and they would quickly return him because he wouldn't stop talking. So it, it, it was just um, just a joy to be around, and um, like I said, he definitely could work the room. Yeah, I, I think joyful is a great word, word to describe him. He was always full of life, um, always full of energy, sometimes too much. You know, we were working into that stage of life like you have to also judge the room. And so Hunter would be that even if it wasn't appropriate. And so uh, we were working through kind of those things. He was... Uh, he, similar to me, he had an eight-pack ab uh, set up, so, you know, it, it's common, uh, runs in the Kulak family. And so, uh, yeah, that was, he was very athletic. I mean, he always wanted to be doing that stuff. You know, Hunter, we've mentioned F3 a couple times. It's a workout group. Uh, I'll mention it's more than a workout group, but we work out together there, and a bunch of the guys are here today, and so. Thank we, you. <laughs> um, you know, one of the expressions we have is, be the bacon. In other words, think about what you feel when, or what you smell when you walk into a room and bacon's been cooking. It just is like, oh, you want to be around it. You want to take it in. Uh, and the reality is, is Hunter was the bacon. He would come into a room and you, uh, there was a certain energy. Sometimes you needed a break from him, but um, he, he was that. And so, you know, but with that uh, energy also sometimes came this, oh, Hunter struggled with this need to be right. You know, and, and so he, I think that was probably the point of a lot of conflict in his life. Uh, it was typically the point of conflict in our home. Like I said, we had a good home, but there was conflict. And so uh, I've seen it in adults where they have this need where they would sacrifice relationship to be right. And uh, there's being right scripturally, there, that's one thing, but then there's being right just this is what I feel, this is what I believe, you need to be right and agree with me. And, and Hunter would fight that. And with that would come conflict. And so, you know, if I, as I look back on that, that was probably uh, some of the areas where we would struggle, you know, that he, he had that. So it was this balance of enjoyment, passion for life with also this need to be right. Mm -hmm. And so, um, but man, he never fit in that thing, by the way. <laughs> he, just to kind of close that out, we didn't uh, end up videoing it. But um, yeah, he, he just... That was a good way to think of it. So if you summarize here, we, we, it's, it's just normal. Yeah. It's life. Um, kids, I mean, there's, there's good times, there's bad times, there's laughter, there's crying, there's conflict. That's normal. That's normal. Yeah. Um, but we're, we're going we're gonna to transition. On, um, on February 22nd, 2018, your lives changed forever. This was the day that Hunter decided to take his life. Yes, it is true that many of us are going through a lot right now. But I believe that God has raised you up to help share with us some things that you've learned. So specifically, the next 24 hours of that day to the next six months, what are some things that were going on in your life and in your, in your thoughts? Yeah, I, I think it, it, it's important, actually, a conversation that Cynthia had with Parker. I wasn't a part of it, but uh, it was a day or two after, and she asked Parker, you know, what did, 
what signs did you see? And uh, Parker was in seventh, seventh grade at that time. And uh, he had gone through recently, you know, signs of suicide. And there were none. So the reason I think that's important to say first is because February 22nd, we just never saw coming. It just, you can prepare for the unexpected in life. Uh, I travel for work a lot and you bring more stuff than you need. You can prepare for lots. There was no preparing for this. There was no, okay, this could happen in life. So February 22nd, it changed everything. I was in Rome, Georgia, and this is, in F3, we get up and work out at early morning, and uh, this was before I'd get up early, and my phone rang at 6.55. I think that's what time it was. And You know, it's funny, you can remember certain aspects of the day and even the weeks that followed, but it just, uh, I, I can't remember everything, but one thing I can remember is Cynthia saying that Hunter had died, and me screaming no in this hotel room in Rome, Georgia, just shouting it at the top of my lungs. It just takes your breath away. Uh, I had to drive from Rome, Georgia to uh, the Atlanta airport, and to be honest, you know, I shared my testimony, um, the drug culture, some days you'd wake up and not know how you got home. I, I still really don't know how I got from Rome, Georgia to the Atlanta airport other than God's hand was on us, on me. And he, he watched over and so got there and uh, it's a blur, you know. And I would say that even as we were preparing for this, uh, you know, we were talking about different things. And do you remember we were sitting in Chick-fil-A and I said, Matt, who told you? Who told you Hunter died? You called me. About 7 o'clock that morning. I don't remember it. I kind of do. Don't. You know, and, and so I think that that is an aspect of grieving. Um, and we're still grieving today. I, I, I equate it to Humpty Dumpty. <laughs> Keep the jokes down, people. <laughs> but, um, you know, I feel like I'm Humpty Dumpty. And uh, now, in our circumstance, the king's men aren't putting us back together. The king himself. Jesus is putting us back together. But man, we are fractured and we're, we're broken and um, there, there's a lot of cracks in the shell with this fall. I don't know if you want to, I mean, I've got more to add, but what was that first 24 hours kind of like for you? So for me, um, the first 24 hours were um, intense to say the least. Um, King was out of town, so I had to call him, and um, like Keen said, I don't remember exactly, like, the words that were said. Um, that kind of is a blur. Um, then, you know, we had to begin the process. Um, I had to call the police, and there were detectives that showed up, and like I said, I, don't, I didn't even know how Matt knew. He shows up, and you know, I don't know how my family was called, and friends were alerted, and that is comforting to know that there were people there that were looking out for us, that were involved, that were there, ready to jump in with whatever needed to happen. Um, thankfully, Keen did make it, you know, to the airport, and um, fortunately, he flies so much that he 
got on the next available plane. I think even George, my sister's husband, was trying to help him and get on the same plane to fly home. And it was, it's really, in some ways, really hard to think about that 24 hours, about that day, about the things that, you know, occurred, about conversations that we had to have. But I feel like I went through a therapy called EMDR, and Keen will explain it a little bit more. And, but it really was helpful to me in processing through some of that trauma. And I would be happy after the service is done to talk with anybody about that if you have gone through a trauma or needing some, something like that. I, like I said, I would be happy to share how God used that in my life. Yeah, I, I think the thing that is important to point out is that there's no roadmap to grieving. And the reality is, is grieving is not just the loss of a child. You guys are grieving for other things. You, you can be grieving when you lose a job. You can be grieving when you lose a spouse, when you, you know, don't, you're unemployed for a while. Grief, grief touches, you don't get into school you want. It, there's disappointment in life. And so, yes, our grief is a very public uh, billboard type grief. But the reality is, is each one of us we're in a fallen world, as Cynthia read in one of the books, we're between the two gardens, you know, the Garden of Eden, where everything was perfect, and the Garden in Heaven, when everything will be perfect. But we're here in this fallen world, and so we each have disappointments in our life. Sometimes you can move past those. This grief probably will, not, it will be with us the rest of this life. And sometimes it's easier, sometimes we can uh, handle the grief better. This year has been harder, actually. Because it's, sometimes they're further apart, but when they hit, they hit much harder. You know, you think about things like weddings, and Hunter won't be at the wedding for Drew and Parker. He, he, won't, he won't marry the girl that we prayed for for him to marry for almost 18 years. You know, he, he didn't get to graduate with Davis this year. We love soccer, uh, football as it's correctly called. Uh, you know, we love watching that game and now when I watch that game, he's not on the field and never will be again. So there's a, there's a grief that hits when you go through those things. And so we're far from over. I, I think uh, what ends up happening is these fears start coming in, and, and I love that song that we sang, and there's others, Zach Williams, fear is a liar, you know, fear is this concept, but it's also this reality, it comes into your life, and you have this fear, and Cynthia can touch on a couple of the fears we, she has, but, you know, it's just, it's this present thing that if you give into it, it can be debilitating, and so that's why I look back now at the 18 months, and some of the things that God has done in those 18 months have been very impactful. One of the first things that he did in those first 72 hours, I guess, because Hunter died on Thursday. By Sunday, we had had a visitation with 1,100 people at Cross Point, And we had 1,500 people come to Hope down in Apex. And I have no idea how any of that happened. Brian Cross drove me around like he was my personal chauffeur. I've still we, been we, calling like him, that again, asking Brian. him to do that again, and he like hasn't returned a call yet. I don't know what that is, but he's not a know, very good Parker though. He, he, he <laughs> he's not like good at park. He can't do that K park. So. Yeah. 
Um, but I mean, so many people, I shouldn't even have said Brian, because there's so many people that did it, that stepped up, uh, people that were in our house, meals. It was to see the body respond. I, I started traveling again after a few months, and I have an alarm system, and you see movement. And one day, I don't know how many people came over and spread mulch, but it was done in like 30 seconds. It was like the whole house just got taken over and then went away, and it was just the body serving. It was so powerful, and it's still powerful to see that. One of the other things that, that God used as a moment was I, uh, we had the opportunity to have a, visit to, a viewing of Hunter, and we didn't think we were going to get that chance. And uh, there was a shirt I had to bring, and I was laying in bed March 5th. I had to bring that shirt, and Cynthia was out. I don't know where she was. And uh, I was like, I'm just going to lay in bed. I'm not going. I'm not doing it. And I, I felt like I heard God say, okay, what are you going to do tomorrow? And what is that going to do for your sons that are here and your son who is with me? And it wasn't said in a biting, sarcastic tone. It was said lovingly, like, I understand, but just walk, think through that. And at that moment, I realized that manna-type relationship, that step-by-step relationship, that God will be my strength to help me go forward. A couple other things real quick. You (laughs) hooked me up with Dana and Kelly Smith. Hooked us up. And they lost Gibson two years before Hunter to suicide. And I hurt for them, and they hurt for us. And not that other people don't hurt for us, but to walk this road with somebody that understands the hurt of this disease of suicide, it's, um, it's really a gift that you gave us by giving us them and God connecting us. Uh, Dana, in turn, invited me to this incredible silly group called F3. I had gone once or twice before, but Dana went to... Sorry, we have nicknames. So <laughs> Jeff, Ma Bell, and asked if I could get a new nickname to honor Hunter. I mean, who does that? And so they let me change my nickname to Liverpool because that was Hunter's favorite team. And that is hard and a blessing at the same time. And these guys, not that the church hasn't done this, but these guys see me every day and put up with my shenanigans and encourage, and it's just incredible and uh, it's not about the weight loss it's about the brotherhood and I think that's true in church and but we live it out every day too in F3 and it's it's powerful and then the last thing we went to a respite retreat where we were with 11 couples uh, other couples that had lost a child not to suicide but to other things and we were with them to be with other people suffering in that same way was refreshing mm-hmm. yeah and I would say looking back that it it is, it's very interesting, this whole process, number one, of being on stage. There's a lot of things that I don't like to do, and I'm very clear on those things, one of which is being on stage. Um, <laughs> another one was I didn't want to meet Dana and Kelly. I didn't want to be in that club, nor did I want to meet anybody else that was in that club. And yet that has been a really good relationship and a really neat friendship and um, a blessing. I didn't want to go to the respite retreat and but there's a lot of things that Keen doesn't want to do that he does for me and so I felt like a little like I needed to you know 
get on the bandwagon. So I did. Um, and, you know, I think when you're looking back at um, different times, and obviously we kind of have a magnifying glass on this these last 18 months of our lives, uh, I felt anger at God. Like, how could you do this to me, to my family? How could you allow this? Uh, I felt guilt. How could I have not seen this coming? Um, And I felt fear, fear for my other two boys' lives, um, fear for what tomorrow will look like. And I feel like God really has picked me up. He's wrapped his arms around me. He's given me the breath each day when I can't even breathe on my own. Um, He's reminding me of the truth and that he's not changed. He's the same God that provided a path for David from Goliath, provided a, a way for Jonah from the whale, provided for Daniel when he was in the lion's den, provided for Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego when they were in the furnace, and he's provided a way for me and for you, and no matter what your struggle is, if we're willing to look to him, um, that he desires to know us personally and to walk with us through whatever struggle, whatever issue it is, whatever battle you're facing, um, that there, we're in the valley, but the valley is where the fertile soil is. That's where the crops are grown, not on the mountaintop, in the valley. We're in the valley. We're, I, don't, I don't know when we're going to make our ascent to the mountaintop, but I'm walking each day with the Lord, growing with him, and trusting him with my tomorrows. He's the only one that we can trust with our tomorrows. Um, the scar of losing Hunter will be always there, um, but as with scar tissue, it's stronger than the original flesh, and the it, it, the scars are a testimony of a testimony of us loving people and life. And the deeper the love, the deeper the scar can be when that person's gone. Um, but I'm going to continue to love deeply and to invest in people's lives. And I hope that you guys will as well. All right. So here, here we are right now. The lessons in situations like this in your own life and for you guys have been numerous. But what I wanted us to do right now is we just, the last question I have for you, is you have both declared you are followers of Christ. You have both said, you know, Jesus is everything. It's not religion, it's relationship. And that is very important to you. And so since we know that we have a personal relationship with God and God talks to us through his word and through just other people encouraging us, What is the one lesson that God has taught you the past 18 months? What is the one lesson that we could all walk away with and be encouraged by? So as Matt said, the one lesson, it's hard to summarize because I think, you know, every day there's a new lesson that um, God's teaching me. But I would say that, like I just shared, whatever you're struggling with, whatever, however dark you feel it is, however alone you feel, that God is a good, good father, always. No matter what the outcomes are, no matter what the um, situations are, we may not like them, but I can sit here and say that he is a good father and that he is 
trustworthy. Um, I'm doing a Bible study in Job, and Job 1.21 says, Job said, Naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked I shall return there. The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. I want to continue to call out to the Lord and bless his name. I will say that one of the gifts that the Lord gave to me was coming. I didn't want to come to your house that day, but watching the God of the universe hold you up is something I will never forget as long as I live. I was amazed at the spirit of the living God holding you up, and I'm absolutely confident that the reason you can sit here today, but you specifically, is to say that the God that held you up that day is the God that holds you up this day, it is and the, the God that God. will hold you up tomorrow. Mm -hmm. And so that was a thing of my testimony, a part of my testimony, something that I've firsthand got to see, and it was a gift, so thank you. Keen, what is the one lesson, or what is the one thing that God has taught you over the past 18 months? A summary of that. Um, well, I think my, my battle, my jester, is fear. You know, I, I struggle with it, and I cover it over in lots of ways. And so the enemy is always coming at me with things of fear, whether it's in work, whether it's um, in our marriage, whether it's in church, whether it's working out. It's always fear that's trying to grip me. And so the only way you overcome that is by facing fear and by really f speaking truth taking in truth. And so the truth that God has given me is that God's truth is greater than the enemy's, uh, enemy's lies. You know, the enemy is going to continue to say things into your life, whatever circumstance you're facing, he's going to say things that are going to weaken you. How you address that is by speaking truth at them and disarming them. You know, I've got, I'm not going to go through them, but there's five very specific fears about uh, our loss of hunter that Satan tries to bring to me moment by moment. And so I actually went and did counseling like Cynthia also did. And by the way, I, I've struggled with depression in the past, uh, getting medicine, getting counseling, burying yourself in scripture, surrounding yourself with other people to encourage you. These are all tools that you can use. We're all weak in some ways and we all need help sometimes to get through things. And we needed and still need counseling. And so there's no, that's not a weakness to say you need help or to get help. It's actually a strength. And so when I started going to EMDR, these lies were just constantly attacking me and they were debilitating. And so I started doing this counseling and EMDR was created to help people with, that have gone through trauma overcome that trauma. Typically you go in and it's not a hypnotic thing, it's just a relaxed, aware state. Probably is the best way I can describe it. And I'm happy to talk to you as Cynthia is offline about it. But in that, you can have a deeper understanding of different issues is one of the things you can walk away with. And so in one session, Cynthia went a few times, got a few different insights. I went and got four insights in one session, and it's exhausting when that happens. But he gave me four specific truths, God did, that has carried me through whenever I've been attacked. And I'll share those with you guys real quick. The first is, Hunter and I had a, a fight Saturday and he died on Thursday. And that Saturday, we were settling down and working through it. And he goes, but dad, you expect me to be perfect. And I said, no, I just expect you to give your best. So the very first thing that God the Father said to me is, I don't expect you to be perfect, Keen. I expect you to just give your best. Mm -hmm. That 
we can't be perfect. Only God was perfect. So we can't be perfect, but we have the standard that we hold ourselves to that's so false. But the very next thing he took me to was Jesus on the cross. And it was simply because when we're not perfect, God, the one who was perfect, can fill those gaps. So there's no expectation of us being perfect. We'll never meet that standard. God is perfect, and he covers over our failures. And that's why he took me to the cross. Next, he took me to a picnic table where Hunter was sitting, Jesus was sitting, and I was sitting. Now, that's unique in itself, but the really unique thing was we were all wearing bathrobes. <laughs> I was like, and I remember saying to my counselor, I'm like, why are we all in bathrobes? He's like, I don't know. And so... I get home, Cynthia's gardening, and I tell her that she goes, oh, well, that's easy. Every time we went to a hotel, Hunter would find the bathrobes and put them on and then lay in bed like he was some, like, royalty, like, okay, serve me now. <laughs> this is true. Yeah, this if they true. had slippers, if it was a really nice hotel and it had slippers, he'd put the slippers on, too. Thankfully, he kept his boxers on, but that's, you know. <laughs> we we'll, think. We'll stop. Okay. Yeah, we think. <laughs> you know, but that is, that's a great comfort to know that, Jesus knows us at our deepest level, sometimes at levels we don't even understand. And he gave me that, that gift. And then uh, finally, that he's okay, that Hunter's healed, that whatever hurt him, whatever broke him, whatever the enemy used to deceive him, it's over. And that we're going to be together again, and that, that is done. We'll all be divinely healed at some point. We're going to have fellowship at that picnic table in our bathrobes, and he's going to be whole. And praise God for it. Praise God. So the lesson that he's taught me, God's truth is more powerful than the enemy's lies. And so I've got one truth for you too. To summarize our time here this morning, I've got one, and it's very clear. You are not alone. And I don't want you to forget that. There is a God in heaven who made a declaration that you are fearfully and wonderfully made and that you are loved and that you are not alone. And we recognize in our, in our culture that anxiety and depression and decisions to maybe this is a better way, that there, it's prominent today. And if there is any encouragement that we have through listening to Keen and Cynthia, to learning about who God is, is that we are not alone and that he loves us. He loves you. And I want you to personalize that. The Bible's very clear in John three sixteen: for God so loved the world what did he do? He gave his one and only son. Those who believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. And my hope today is that as you come here today, number one, you would be encouraged by that verse. Number two, if you've never heard that verse or never understood that verse, that maybe today would be a day and I would challenge you to really spend some time unpacking truly what that means. That the God of creation is looking down at you and saying, I love you. You are not alone. I see your hurt. I see your pain. And you are not alone. Whether it's a marriage situation that is not where it can be and should be, whether it's a job situation where it's a parenting situation, whatever the case might be, maybe it's anxiety or depression, you are not alone and God loves you. And I'm going to keep saying it and keep saying it and keep saying it. And listen, on Tuesday at 12 o'clock, you can get the podcast and you can listen to it again. Because I want us to really understand about who God is. The Christian faith is not rooted in the absence of doubt. It is firmly rooted in the abundance of hope. Did you hear that? It's not rooted in the absence of doubt. It's rooted in the abundance of hope. And hope has a name, and that name is Jesus. So be encouraged by today by just that. 
They're 18 months into this, and I am overwhelmed at the God of creation that it can allow them to say, yes, I want to be able to share what God is doing. But I, am rec- I recognize that there are people in here that are hurting just as bad. And so if you could hear another thing is you're not alone, and there is a family here to hold you up and to be there for you. I would say this to us is we can talk ourselves into doubting one of God's promises or we can grab hold of the grace and the courage and the hope that he offers. And at the end of the day, that's my hope for us today is not to doubt one of the promises that are offered, but to grab a hold of the hope and courage that King Jesus offered and paid for because he was on a cross and he made a bold declaration and he said these words, it is finished. It is finished. What is finished? It's finished for us to be forgiven of our sins so that we can have a relationship with God that's possible through Jesus. And so to you too, I, um, I love you. You are a gift to my soul, to my life. You have, <laughs> in the middle of these 18 months, you have encouraged us and our church family more than you could ever ask or imagine. And we look forward to what King Jesus is going to continue to teach you so that you might be able to teach us. And then we might do this thing together, holding each other up, crying and laughing and doing just that. We've got a song that we're going to do. It's called The Goodness of God. It is a song that's been so meaningful to Keenan and Cynthia. And I really, if you want to just let the, the team play, then you can do that. If you want to sing along, I want to invite you to sing along. But ultimately what I want you to do is I really want you to hear the words of, of this song. You know, today you've heard Cynthia say that one lesson I could teach you is that God is a good, good father. And then she used another word, always. And Keen says, I'm going to remember the promises of God over the enemies of the lie. I'm going to remember truth because Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And then another one is, you are not alone. So as we think of those points and as we sing this last song, I want you to remember the goodness goodness of God that we serve. Let me pray for us as the band gets set to lead us in in this song. Holy God, there is no one like you. There is no one. We get here today and we recognize that we are grateful that you can hold us up. Lord God, if there is anyone in here, which I know that they are just struggling for whatever reason, I pray that you would just be an encouragement to them right now. That, Lord God, that you would uphold them with your righteous right hand. Lord, you would be real. You would help them to realize how good you are, how full of truth you are. And that, Lord, you would redeem the situation that they're walking in right now. Lord, I pray that you would use this song for us to go out of this place and recognizing and celebrating that you are a good father and there is no one like you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.